0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files,
1: forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Roy. I'm a compulsive overeater and a miracle of mental health. My name is Royal. Uh, Mickey asked me, "Do you remember the format?" I said, "Yeah, I wrote it. Um, I'm the one who started this meeting. I was the first secretary. Our first speaker was Roseanne S. Uh, the people who did service well, Leslie was on pretty early, and uh, Walter G. and uh, Sandy L. and they did a lot of service here. Especially Walter in the early days, and uh, we started taping the speakers, and then John K came in and took it and said he could. He thought he could get the board to approve putting them on the internet. And the next thing you know, now we're what a podcast and all this. This is great stuff. But I'm glad to see the meeting's still gone. I'll tell you why I started it. It was uh, pure vanity and resentment. I just
0: uh, <laughs> got
1: sick of trying to. Uh, and uh, you know I've jammed my story in the 20 minutes at serenity Sunday and these other speaker meetings I and mean, I'm with the mother ship also so I know what a, a big uh, AA speaker meeting is like where we have a main speaker and uh, tape the speaker and all that and so I had something to compare it to and I said well you guys are not doing it right yeah. and uh, of course I didn't I wasn't that well received
0: <laughs>
1: so uh, if you think the meeting's named about giving candles for birthdays it's not. It's named uh, after an old slogan. Why curse the darkness when you can light a candle? I said, "Well, these people
0: don't know any
1: better. I have to show them the way."
0: <laughs>
1: and that is a typical example of uh, God. When, you, if you read that seven-step prayer in the big book, it says, "God, my Creator, I now when you have all of me, good and bad, and God will literally take my character defects." Like vanity or ego, whatever you want to call it, pride, and he'll use them, and uh, he'll maybe he'll let, leave me some defects of character because we can't seem to hear saints in this program. You know, uh, a friend of mine says I don't know why that we have to learn in church basements what everybody else seems to be able to learn up there in the cathedral, the chapel, but it's true.
0: <laughs> maybe you know, maybe
1: because. We just can't learn. The book says you never talk down to another compulsive over Every time I quote from the book, I'll be transliterating for our program. been in Santa Monica, I guess about 13 years. 13 years ago when I first spoke at Serenity, I said, You see this book? What the hell are you guys doing? Trying to reinvent the wheel here. And they finally got the message, I'll tell you. But uh, they didn't get it from me because I never had that... Uh, Win friends and influence
0: people. <laughs> so, fuck okay. well, you, you idiots! You,
1: you're perverting the program. You don't know what you're doing. You know, so they couldn't get it from me. I can understand that. I base my uh, public relations uh, program on repulsion, rather than attraction. But uh,
0: <laughs> people
1: who stuck with me you know, through the steps, like this character here, seemed to be doing pretty well. So, and this meeting's doing pretty well. So that gives me a great sense of. Uh, gratitude and satisfaction even my character defects can help somebody else that's the way the higher power works he can have all me good and bad and he'll do what he wants and uh, I better remember who to give the credit to either because I have that kind of recovery ego and the ego does grow back this program is about ego deflation it's in the book it's in the 12 and 12 and the ego wants to grow back because disease wants me dead It'll settle for me fat and binging, but it wants me dead ultimately. And um, my ego will grow back, and I'll try and turn a miracle into an accomplishment. And I better always remember that. I had no power in me whatsoever when I hit my bottom. And for those of you who are impressed by such things, my top weight was 280-something. It's over 100 pounds of where I am now. I have gained and lost 80 pounds at least three times. I've been on the Stillman diet, the, the amphetamines, the pregnant hormone shots, the liquid protein, and various, you know, other diets. And I was, I got absent in 1978, and I've been absent 31 plus years. And uh, I credit my higher powers. I don't understand him, but as I still pray to him on my knees, God, as I don't understand him, works for me. And when I say I'm abstinent, I mean the obsession has been removed. I gotten the 10-step promises in the book. And the book says I'm not going to fight food. I'm not, I'm not cocky, nor am I afraid. I've been removed to a safe, neutral ground. The problem has been removed. When I'm God-centered, I'm not food-centered. It's that simple. This, there's no spiritual side to this program. It is a spiritual program. It's not group therapy, it's not a support group, it has a certain superficial veneer which resembles group therapy and support, but at the heart this program is simple. It's about finding God and about removing the obstacles which block me from that higher power. And the book is clear, in this book you will hear the stories of men and women and how they have built a personal relationship with a God of their own understanding. And that's what this program has always been about, whether people want to rewrite the steps and come up with their own version or whatever. That's what it has been about from the beginning. And the only way that I can make contact with that power is I have to start removing the obstacles which block me from that power. And it starts with putting down the fork. Just like an alcoholic... He has to put down the first drink. He has to separate from alcohol. That's how the voyage begins. I cannot make contact with a higher power if I'm overeating. So how does a compulsive overeater put down the fork? Well, we have tools here. We have a food plan. We have a sponsor, a food sponsor. We have the telephone. We have writing. We have meetings. These are all tools to help me put down the fork, clear the mind. Believe me, for an alcoholic, especially first edition level guys, and I happen to be one of those too, when I hit the bottom with booze, they had to hospitalize me. They thought I was going to have a convulsion in the Clubhouse. So people say to me, well, what do you do about the feelings? Well, that's, they, they don't call it the joy of giving up compulsive overeating. They call it withdrawal. You know? <laughs>
0: If I stop
1: compulsively overeating, I will soon be in touch with why I was compulsively overeating. Every reason, every low self-esteem, every um, more than, less than, every resentment, every, you know, molestation memory or whatever, abuse memory, everything I ate over will come up. And that's what happens when I put down the first compulsive bite on the fork. And it's going to come up. And in AA, they used to just put them in a hospital. Most of the people who wrote the book were hospitalized. You, don't, you didn't just walk into a meeting in those days. In OA, we have to, or I had to anyway, put down the fork and start this journey. Let's see. I guess I'll tell you in my foodologue to convince you that uh, I belong here. Um, I came from a family of compulsive overreaders. My uh, father became an adult-onset diabetic. My whole family's always on diets. I got a cold, so I'm a little subdued tonight,
0: but... (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not.
1: Um, uh, You know, the doctor told him, Mr. Levin, you just put down the you know control your carbs control your intake of sugar you take these little ore based tablets it's just like taking a one a day multiple vitamin it'll be no problem it'll hardly put an impact in your life my mother would find half eaten boxes of chocolates under his bed insanity for a diabetic sure enough he wound up shooting insulin and it probably shortened his life my mother was always on diets so my brother's been up to 300 pounds he went down he's on his way up again he's been to OA meetings he, he's not ready yet he prefers antidepressants and uh, whatever he's doing. That's my family. I mean, I came from a family of compulsive overeaters. I was fat when I was seven. By the time I was seven, I was already overweight. Um, They never could figure out the alcohol. I'm the only alcoholic in my family, so that kind of spooked them a little bit. But I once thought the uh, solution to my problem was uh, light beer. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: but, you know, I got up to, like, 12, 16-ounce cans of Liberia. I wasn't. But then I tried to be a vegetarian, live on vodka and mashed potatoes, which I, I, I gained weight on that food plan. So when you're an alky, it's really a problem because you go on these crazy diets, and, you know, I'm always thirsty, you know. Anyway, my family were compulsive overeaters. Amphetamines, I lost 80 pounds on amphetamines when I, I guess... Guy I was still in my teens, I think. Um, my second big diet was the uh, Stillman diet. I don't know if you remember that. You ate nothing but protein and washed it out with uh, fluids so you didn't get ketosis. I lost 80 pounds on that. I identified also as an exercise bulimic. At the height of my insanity with exercise, I was in Florida at the time, I was literally... Um, I went on that uh, Stillman diet and I was losing the weight. I was literally... I was working out at the gym. I them weights about three times a week. I was in the judo club. I was swimming about a mile a day in the, in the Miami pool, which was an Olympic-sized pool at the university. I got up to running twelve miles a day in ninety-degree heat, ninety-degree humidity. Nobody was running back then. This was way back. Believe me, I'm, I'm a long time around. So. I mean the running craze was just starting, you know, with Jim Fix and Farrah Fossil was on the cover of people with their little running suit on, you know, but n- trust me, nobody was running in Miami in ninety degree heat, and ninety degree temperature at high noon back then. Except me and this crazy gym teacher and this one other guy, I forget what his story was, but and it wasn't even a scenic route, it was like around the practice soccer field, around in the university, it was like it, it's like a rat in a maze. It really was insane it says in the book that I'll go to the gates of insanity and death deal with this disease and uh, literally it was ins- it's a form of insanity and you know I was th- what's, what's, what am I thinking I'll run I won't want to eat I'll run somehow find uh, another a new magic diet I won't put the weight back um, I, I don't know what I was thinking you know maybe I, maybe I thought the obsession would be relieved who knows what I was thinking it was just insanity but I had no spiritual solution so I'm running around like a rat in a maze. Okay? Diets work. We, that's why our program is spiritual. Because if you join a diet club, Weight Watchers, whatever, you're going to get physical recovery. You'll lose weight if you go on one of these crazy diets. I always did. I lost 80 pounds on amphetamines. I lost 80 pounds on the Stillman diet. The problem is our disease is spiritual in nature unless I'm building a personal relationship with a higher power, the insanity that a half gallon of mint chip ice cream, which was my drug of choice, a half gallon of mint chip ice cream will fix some financial insecurity, some, you know, rejection in a, from a woman, or some boss gave me some shit, or I'm scared, or he pushed my buttons, or I got a resentment against you. That's insanity. You think a half a gallon of mint chip ice cream is going to fix that, Right. <laughs> But if I don't have a spiritual connection with a higher power, guess what? That insanity comes back into my life, and I eat again, because i proved it to myself over and over. So, I'm, you know, I'm losing weight, lost another 80 pounds, I'm running like a rat in a maze. I graduate, unfortunately, I wanted to be a professional student, my parents had been a little bit fed up, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I got thrown out of prep school for around my first time, I don't want to go into the drunk a lot, but... You know, uh, I had to go back north, where I'm from originally. So I go from Florida, 90 degree heat, 90 degree humidity, up to New Jersey. And now, I'm up there in Jersey, and I hate it, I start gaining the weight back. Okay? And I gain back. I'm, you know, the thing about it, compulsive overeating, the physical diets always work, but it never gets rid of the obsession. So every time I lose it, it was just this agony, you know? waiting to hit some magic number on the scale or something and then when the, the obsession comes back it comes back with more fury and I always gain a little bit more weight on the rebound you know when it comes back than I lost to original it's like a stock market chart you know it's making new highs you know there's a few there's a few pullbacks to the trend line but it's on the way up and uh, that's why I know if I go out again I could, could be you know 300, 400 pounds I may not make it back probably I wouldn't make it back because my recovery ego wouldn't allow me to come in here and raise my hand as a newcomer. And that's what I've got to watch out Well, At this point in the game, I've got to watch out for complacency resting on my laurels and recovery ego. You know, when I was new, I just, it was all insane to me then, but now it's a, you know, an advanced form of insanity. So,
0: <laughs> anyway,
1: so I'm a compulsive booger eater, right? And I go back north, I gain it all back. So, what do I do? I go to the pregnant hormone doctor. The pre- remember those? Mm-hmm. HCG, human, human gonadotropin, human chorionogonadotropin. gonadotropin, seems to stick in my mind, right? So we're lining up. We've got this really thin, greedy, smiling osteopath.
0: <laughs> and he's got, uh, you know, this
1: guy's a real shyster. If I wasn't in the program, that's the business I'd be in, by the way. Crash diets. I'd hire some crooked doctor and we'd go on television and make $1 million. Seriously. It's the easiest business in the world. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm on a spiritual path. (laughs) So there's an osteopath. He's got two clinics going. He's got one going in Jersey. He's got one in Pensy across the river. Across the Delaware River there where I'm from. And, uh, He's grinning, and he's got all these fat women and a few fat men like myself lined up. And we're giving him 25 bucks to weigh us in. He looks at us, and he grins. He gives us this Auschwitz diet. You know, he about got 500 calories a day. We shoot, you know, every time you show up, you give him some money, he shoots you up with this HCG, which is complete bullshit. You know. Now, you go on a 500-calorie-a-day diet, guess what? You're going to lose weight.
0: <laughs> no shit. And now,
1: But now I'm up in New Jersey. It's not Florida anymore. So I go from running to 90-degree heat, 90-degree humidity, to now I'm up there running in blizzards with a ski mask on, you know, little vibes. <laughs> Snowflakes are coming. I'm running down in a snowplow. And, you know, the porches, they have these wooden houses back east, you know, with porches and stuff. Stuff they don't have too much down here. Well, they have a few down here but a uh, guy comes out like his overcoat to get his paper in the morning And you know, the paper guy throws the paper on his porch he comes out in his like overcoat and muffler to get his paper and he sees me running behind a snow plow he goes
0: hey Rocky yeah yeah because <laughs> he the you
1: know, fussifies on the Olympic team or something you
0: know
1: <laughs> who the hell else is running in a, s- a snowstorm behind a snow plow with a ski mat on besides a compulsive overeater <laughs> You know, I mean, this is, in, this is exercise bulimia exercise addiction. It's insanity. Lost the weight. No kidding. You know, I joined a gym in New Jersey. I'm running behind a snow plow. I'm eating 500 calories a day. But this is not fixed, and this is not fixed. Guess what happens, you know? Back comes the weight. I'll get to my bottom quickly because it's always a fun story to tell. <laughs> My last uh, series diet was the uh, liquid protein. I literally went over a month without solid food, living on this shit. I dropped 30 pounds the first 30 days. I mean, diets work, but this is not a diet club. This is a spiritual program, okay? It's about making a personal relationship with a higher power. So, uh, I was literally trying to take a tennis lesson. I could. I, I had so little blood sugar or strain, I could hardly lift a racket. You know, I was like, I canceled my tennis lesson. I'll never forget it. It was a Friday night in Miami. Friday night in Miami. All my friends are down in Coconut Grove chasing the women. They're getting blasted. They're getting high. I'm sitting in this studio apartment in Miami with, no, with not enough energy to have, take a tennis lesson. You know, there's a saying, you don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Well, I don't know if hungry quite cuts it when I haven't had, you know, solid food for 30 days. You know, But I remember literally saying, I I wanted to weigh in Monday, hit a certain, there was a certain magic number, I guess, on the dial, and then I would eat again. I thought, I'd let myself, I don't you know, you know, what are you thinking when you're on these diets? I can't tell you what I was thinking because it's nuts. I guess I was thinking Monday I wouldn't want to compulsively overeat or the obsession would be removed or I'd find a magic food plan Keep the weight off this time. I'd be able to. I don't know what I was thinking, because I don't think I'm thinking too. I'm thinking too straight, right? I'm living in a delusional world. You know, pizza pie in hand, I warp my mind, and uh, so basically, I couldn't do it. I couldn't hang. Out. I couldn't get through the weekend. The Monday it was Friday night, and everybody was having fun except me, living in the nightmare of you know of the liquid protein nightmare, purgatory, whatever <laughs> I remember literally, like, leaning on the wall. I was so dizzy when I got up to get to... And I went out to my car. Badeland was just around the corner this big shopping center. And I got one in there. And I, Here's how a compulsive over here, an alcoholic, breaks in, one of his diets. I bought two cases of wine, not bottles, cases of wine and two pizzas, you know. And I started eating. I started drinking. And I'll just cut the story short to say that I wound up in jail that night. So
0: I guess that's
1: how I break my fast, see? That led to my starting to get sober, which took another year. And that led to, I'm in AA now, and the geniuses are saying things like, well, if you just if you feel like taking a drink, just have a candy bar.
0: <laughs>
1: These guys are brilliant, you know. But they, what they didn't know was I was fat before I was drunk. You know, I was fat since the age of seven. I wasn't that drunk since to the ripe old age of 12, at least. So, uh, my, my childhood disease, you know, it's kind of an infantile drug food, you know. It's easier to get when you're a kid than uh, alcohol or drugs. came to Warren back, I think, the first... Couple months I was sober. I gained thirty pounds. I was out of control with the food. You know, I, mean, I remember being eight months sober on my knees because you, you come in these programs, you hear about another one. You know, <laughs> you got you know, it's not just about not drinking; it's about you know, healing in all areas. You know, all my affairs. And I'm out of control with the food. Eight months sober, and I remember being on my knees saying, "God." And when I get back to Miami, I was out of state. I was in Vermont actually when I get back to Miami I've got to get to this OA program so I come back in the OA come back to Miami I go to my first OA meeting we got some men here tonight including the speaker and Mickey secretary trust me in 1978 Miami I don't think there was a man at my first meeting it was all women I won't say they were old because they are now my age but at the time I was a feisty young buck I was still running six miles a day trying to keep the weight off even in early sobriety you know the and these were like these condo commandos from North Miami. You know?
0: <laughs> and I come
1: into this meeting, and, and, they, and my attitude was not good. You know, I was,
0: it was
1: kind of traumatic getting sober. You know, I had to be hospitalized. I'm a real alcoholic, too. I had to be hospitalized and the whole bit. And, I, and then I, all of a sudden, the food's out of control. And I was not thrilled to be in another 12-step program. Trust me. And I come in there. My attitude was kind of like, what are these people doing with my big book? You know, like I'm Bill Wilson's long lost grandson. I mean, I got a proprietary interest in <coughs> spirituality in eight months of sobriety. It was not a good attitude. Friend. I was pissed off. I didn't want to be here. There were no men. And this woman comes up to me after the meeting. She says, where do you know the serenity prayer from? And I said, well, I'm in an AA. And she goes, Well, my name is Edie, and I'm a compulsive overeater, and I've lost 90 pounds and kept it off for five years. Now that gets my attention. I don't care, you know. That's all I could hear. You know, this woman had lost 90 pounds and kept it off for nine years. Well, I've lost 100 pounds and kept it off for 31 plus years. When Bill Wilson saw Abby Thatcher at the kitchen table, he said. Never mind the musty past. There sits a miracle in front of me at my kitchen table. You know how much sobriety you had? Two months. He's a miracle. Well, Edie was a miracle to me, and, uh, and what the hell am I? And or Mickey or anybody here. So that's how we get it from each other. She says, "I'm Edie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Lost 90 pounds and kept it off for five years. That's all I had to hear. I'll be your sponsor." Well, it was all gray sheet back then, too. And I mean, when I say gray sheet, it was gray sheet. I mean, I had to call before every meal. I'd say, well, I want to eat an apple, a pear instead of an apple. She said, no, no, too much sugar in the pear. Eat the apple. You know, she, she wouldn't let me put milk in my coffee. I'm on the same food plan that these women are, these matronly women, these condo commandos. I'm still a young buck running six, six miles a day and working out and I was starving to death. Congrat I mean I was star craving as. I
0: lasted two weeks.
1: I'm up, get this now. I'm on my way to Paris, France. Eight months over and two weeks
0: i <laughs> 'm on my way to Paris,
1: ostensibly to study languages in reality running from my problems, but we won 't go there <laughs>
0: so,
1: but and you know, I could only learn that lais que as the French say. I did learn French
0: um, anyway
1: i 'm on my way to Paris with two weeks of abstinence. <laughs> and Edie says to me well you know you go on that flight you better pack a brown bag lunch
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: now I'm an hey I'm an alcoholic. I don't pack no brown bags you know I, I call the uh, you know that alcohol ego. I call the
0: uh, airline I
1: say how about these diabetic meals you know because I got to watch my a little. I didn't tell it was an OA I said these, and she says no problem Mr. Levin we got diabetic meals Blah 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 blah. Get to check in. Yes, Miss. Diabetic meal. Yes, Miss. Get to the uh, boarding pass. Diabetic meal. Yes, Miss. All right. So I've been starving on Gracie for two weeks. No coffee. No, I mean no milk in the coffee. You know. I haven't eaten since six in the morning. You know, you're on the plane. You're boarding. You're up in the air. and It takes time for them to serve lunch. It's now about two in the afternoon, and I am. Hungry
0: is to say the word. I
1: got starvation hunger, and I got real hunger. It's time to eat, and I'm a compulsive eater who's insane over food anyway. Comes time to pass out the diabetic meals. Guess what? The food service forgot the diabetic meals. So she put something in front of me that I hadn't seen for two weeks. Like you know. <laughs> Toast, potatoes, and of course there was cupcake. You know, airplane food. You know, and it was worse back then than it is now, and it, it isn't any bargain now. But um, I just couldn't hold out. I mean, I just, I just started eating. I took the first compulsive bite. I ate carbs, toast, potatoes. You know. But then the cupcake, you know, next my neighbor didn't. Can I have your cupcake? (laughs) So they said, you know, they say you hit the ground running. Well, I hit, I hit the ground in Paris eating, and I'm out of control of the food in Paris, France. And I mean, the OA group in Paris at the time was the shakiest, flakiest. most unrecovered group
0: of clouds
1: you ever saw in your life. You know, our French pioneer had started it. She she was a doctor, a French doctor who did a residency in Atlanta. She was a gynecologist. She since rebirthed herself as Natalie. Back then I knew her as Morissette, but if she wants to be called Natalie, I'll call her Natalie. So Natalie took the program back to France in English. She got the pamphlets and the format from, I guess, World Service or whoever. And we had a one no, we had the Saturday meeting and the Monday night meeting. We had two meetings a week. And I mean, nobody was absent. I mean, Natalie was binging when I hit there. I hit the ground binging.
0: Bob is 11
1: years sober. He's throwing up 11 times a day.
0: The anorexic, the
1: anorexic uh, whose parents were MDs, psychiatrists, and they couldn't believe with all their medical and psychiatric training, they'd spawned an anorexic. And she's starving herself to death. And uh, All the English women are all pairs. They're all binging. I mean... You know the bulimics are puking, the overeaters are are gorging, and the, the anorexics are starving. And I'm sitting there with eight months of sobriety, quoting the twelve and twelve hours.
0: <laughs> you know, meanwhile, you
1: know, I, what was I binging on? Mostly bread, cheese, and chocolate. Nothing I couldn't get back home. It was good bread, good cheese, and chocolate. <laughs> French have really uh, well-developed food cuisine. I mean, I take a pain ordinaire, not a baguette. That's a thin one. A pan, you know. It looks like a it looks like a small yule log. You know?
0: And I I cut it like this
1: longitudinally, and I take a, you know about a quarter pound of butter, lather it up, and I take a whole wheel of Coulommiers, which a French family could live off this for a week,
0: and I lather it up, and I'd eat
1: this thing for breakfast. And my French roommates would look at me, and then I wouldn't drink wine because I'm in AA.
0: And it just it just blew their
1: mind. I offended every gallic sensibility there is. You know? I mean, I, wouldn't you like some a uh, good burgundy with it? No, I can't. I can't touch alcohol. Meanwhile, I'm eating this huge meal. They don't even eat breakfast. The French, you know, they have like a bowl of cocoa or coffee or something. They used to drink out of bowls. Maybe Americans ruined them with cocoa puffs by this time but back then these guys were. my friend would eat like a, a bowl of cocoa that would be his breakfast and I'd be lathering up this I'd eat enough for a family for a week you know and they'd be looking at me and I, and I I gained 30 pounds in a month okay I'm out of control I'm a compulsive overeater in Paris and I'll just uh, I want to leave a few few minutes for questions so I'll conclude with my famous bottom which is always fascinating to me I can tell you that this, if you're out of control with the food or starving, or bulimic, or whatever, the more I prayed, the more I ate. That's what was so weird. It was almost like I'm holding on to this hot poker. And the more I prayed, the tighter I grabbed that poker. You see, abstinence to me represented gray sheet, which was this horrible starvation thing, you know. And I like it was fear of the Future of what abstinence was like, and the present had to get literally so painful that I was willing to step into the unknown. That's the way I look back on it all the hue, as the French say. Now, with hindsight, 31 years plus abstinence. But at the time, the more I prayed, the more I grabbed that hot poker and the sewer got so painful I just dropped it. And I was in Marseille in the Gare, which is uh, this train station. And I was in a language school in X, and I would take the Midnight Express up to Paris and go to meetings. I'm, I'm a founder, by the way, of the French-speaking AA group of Aix-en-Provence, co there with this other lunatic, Jean-Pierre C, who was absolutely off the wall. But two, you know, two lunatics with a big book can do a lot of good.
0: But anyway, I'd
1: go up, take the Midnight Express up to Paris to go to meetings. And I remember saying to myself, I'm eating like my fifth French Mounds bar, you know, sugar up to here, you know, I'm buzzed on sugar. And I say to myself, Do I want this more than abstinence? I said, This is insane. This is insane, you know. Pants are getting tight, gaining way. The- and the answer was, No, I want to be abstinent. Now, I like to tell you. I threw that Mons bar down. But I'd already paid for it, and I didn't want to haggle with the fresh So I ate like my sixth mound bar. But I got on that Couchette on that train. He used to sleep on these things. I never could sleep on them, but you sleep on these things overnight. And I get on the Midnight Express, come to Paris that morning. I said, well, I want to be abstinent. I go to a brasserie, order a couple softballed eggs, take away the bread s'il vous play, you know enlever le pain s'il vous because bread was one of my vegetables over there good bread I'm saying but I had coffee I said put the milk in the coffee
0: you know, screw you
1: <laughs> Edie was not you know on my shoulder like a gargoyle in Notre Dame you
0: know so
1: so I go ahead and put milk in the coffee I had a couple soft bolets milk get rid of the bread that was a bin shoot a couple of apples or whatever for dessert it was abstinent and I, you know, and I enjoyed it and I had milk in the coffee and it was enough so I'm, you know, trudging around Paris doing my thing. Lunch time, same thing. Brasserie. Steak. Fruit? No. Part de the fruit, s'il vous plaît. Enlevez le fruit du salade. Enlevez la fruit. Okay, so he brings me salads instead of french fries. I got meat. I got salad. Enlevez le pan. No bread. Uh, milk and the coffee. Café au lait, s'il vous <laughs>
0: And, uh,
1: absent pear for dessert or apple? Yeah, pear. Screw you,
0: eating. <laughs> i will a pear.
1: Absolutely. Try to, dinner. same thing, you know? Meat, salad, no bread, fruit for dessert, milk and a coffee, no problem. And I arrived at the Monday night meeting, it was on the right night near the Senate building, no, it was near the President's Palace or whatever they call it, um, St. Michael's English Church. And, uh, I want to get in there and be the star of the meeting, you know, because this this is the biggest loser meeting in the history of Overeaters Anonymous. And I wanted to be a VIP or star. And so when they finished reading how it works and all this stuff, my hand. Does anybody have anything to say? And like my hand shoots up. I got something to say, to you guys. I am abstinent today. And then Natalie looks at me, goes, "I'm abstinent today." And then Bob R goes, "I'm abstinent today." And then the whole group got abstinent on the same day.
0: <laughs> on the same day. And I've always
1: said it's the greatest spiritual event in France since Lord. As <laughs> the whole group, it's a group miracle in Paris. And I couldn't be the star at a goddamn meeting. But see, God will take my defense and he'll use it. And from that meeting came French AA. I had French OA, excuse me, we have plenty of French AA we have plenty of English speaking AA, but we didn't have French OA because we just had that, those little two struggling groups. And from that came the whole OA movement in Paris. Um, my time is up. I didn't get a chance to take you guys through the steps because, once again, OA never gives me enough time as far as I
0: <laughs>
1: They taped me at the birthday party last year. I went through the whole big book. They she lose the CD. I can't, I can't find it. I don't know where God does not, well, stop clapping, Leslie.
0: God does not
1: want me to superstar BIT, but it's still the best goddamn big book workshop I've heard in LA <laughs> for 31 <laughs> plus years. You got, the, what's his name, Harlan doing it now, and I I attended his, and you got some guy on the internet, Laurie from Canada, doing it, and they're good.
0: But I was the first, and I
1: was the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But what can I tell you? God wants me to be very anonymous, apparently. So will that be? Throw it up in the questions, or we... that's it? That's it?
0: No questions? Nothing? All right. Sorry.